Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of, anybody know? Oh, good job. All right. Just making sure after 24 weeks, you knew where we were. Still got another 68 weeks to go. We're almost through. Um, anyway, uh, I'm really excited about uh, this book and this study. I think I've mentioned it before. Um, I, I've read Ephesians a number of times as I've read many of the books in the Bible, but really didn't realize just how deep it was uh, theologically and practically as well. And as I've even mentioned before, I think Wednesday nights are probably one of my favorite uh, services uh, to be a part of just because of the Bible study aspect. And, and really, this is kind of part of that uh, theme for the year of Thrive, understanding we we're made for more. And really, in order to thrive, we have to dig deep so that we can reach out. And that's what we're trying to do on Wednesday nights. We're trying to dig deep. And I know we're kind of taking our time and I joke about it, but I really hope it is helpful to you. I don't want to rush through things. I know I could really quickly go through some of this, and we can get through this in probably eight or ten weeks, honestly, all of the the whole book. But I don't want to do that. I really want to hit on some things so that you have a greater understanding and better understanding of what Paul is trying to teach us and really what God is trying to teach us as well. Uh, Because when you study God's Word, there is one interpretation, but there there are countless applications that can be made. And that's what we're trying to do is trying to apply it, apply these truths that Paul was giving to the Ephesians and how we can apply it to us today. And uh, at the past several weeks now, I think three weeks specifically, we've been hitting on unity. And I want to ask that question once again, maybe just a little different aspect of this question. But what does a typical church look like that is practicing and modeling unity? And what I mean by that, I don't, I don't want, okay, uh, I'm talking about you know, church so-and-so. That's not what I'm saying. What might a church look like that is truly modeling the spirit of unity? Somebody tell me. What? Lots of workers. Okay, that's very good. What else? What might a church look like that is truly practicing and modeling unity? Go ahead. Pulling together. Yeah, it's very important. That's good. What else? What else? Crickets tonight. Come on. Draw it out. One that's supportive. That's very good. Very good. What else? A couple more things. I want to say engaged, but it's okay. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. That's all right. Yeah, this church says engaged. That's part of the reason I chose that, that title for this uh, uh, portion of uh, Ephesians. Yeah, they are truly engaged. We're going to talk a little bit about, more about that tonight. Uh, what else? Maybe one or two more things. What might a church look like that is truly unified and practicing unity, modeling unity? Anyone? Desire to never stop growing. Desire to never stop growing. Yes, that's, that's very good. Not just personally, but also as the, as the body of the church. And, and speaking of that, you know, I've seen many churches that get very, very content with where they are. What I mean is, you know, we've got our close connection. We've got our family setting. And I really don't want any more people to come in because it's going to break it up. It's going to mess it all up. But we should want more growth, right? Hopefully. Um, Now, on the flip side of that, what might a church look like that is disunified? A lot of gossip and backbiting. A lot of gossip and backbiting. Yes. Yes. Very good. What else? 
You walk in, you want to walk right back out. Like some of those gifs, you're like, nope, not today. <laughs> Justin? A lot of discontentment, yeah, exactly. Not content, not thankful for what they have and who they are. Yes, that's very good. What else? What might a church look like that is disunified? Brown? Uh, worldly church. Do what? Worldly church. Worldly, yes. Very much so, yes. Very much more concerned about what the world thinks of them and pleasing to the world instead of pleasing to Christ. That's good. What else? What else? Unfriendly. What's that? Unfriendly. unfriendly, yes. Yes, very unfriendly. What else? What else? These are good. Disorganized, yes, very good. Anything else? What might a church look like that is disunified? Fake. Fake. Oh, that's fairly good. She was trying to use engaged again, but it's. Well, no, but I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I saw her looking up there. <laughs> just kidding, Stephanie. No, go ahead. Explain. Well, you know, just in the churches that I've been in, like from the exterior, if you're not really involved in that church, it's very. It seems pretty welcoming. And then the longer you're there, you realize that it's all just a big front. They really... Yes. It's not. Fake, that's, that's it. Um, many other words you can use, superficial, uh, very surface-based. You know, when you dig below the surface, you realize there's not much to it. And I think many of us maybe have been a part of churches like that. Uh, that's very good. And really, one thing I've talked about in, re- in relation to that, you know, I want our church to be authentic. I want us to be practicing what authentic biblical Christianity looks like. And in order to do that, we have to get back to God's word, right? And that's why it's important studies like Ephesians and other books of just digging deep and understanding who we are in Christ. And again, if you've missed any of this series, I encourage you to go back. Uh, we have a podcast now, which is basically just the messages in audio format. You can download it on the iTunes or Android app or whatever it is and listen to them. I'd really encourage you to do that or get on our website and do that as well. And remember, as I've talked about the past few weeks, disunity is really carnal Christianity that is spiritually immature. Carnal Christianity that is spiritually immature. Uh, Living the gospel is very important. It's vitally important that as a believer, as a child of God, we live the gospel. Because the world needs to see that we are not fake. We can fake it, right? We can, you know, uh, put on a front and, and, you know, thinking about faking it, you know, you can only fake it so long, right? That's the truth. Now, you might fake a lot of people out, but eventually your true colors are going to come out. And eventually what's inside is going to come out. And I've seen it in my own life that, you know, you kind of put on this front. You're, you're masquerading yourself when you come to church, but that's not how it should be. How you are in the world should be how you are in the church and vice versa. But a lot of times we're trying to put on this mask that, hey, look at us. We're great. I'm, I'm, I'm truly engaged and I'm activated and I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do in the church. But outside, we're not that. And eventually that's going to come out. So again, we, we need to make sure that we understand what the gospel is all about. And living the gospel is vitally important. That's why Paul switches gears in chapters 4 through 6 from theological to practical. And I love the theological aspect of chapters 1 through 3. And as I was thinking about that this after, or this morning when I was uh, putting all this stuff together, you know, there are some churches that don't even want to preach doctrine anymore. And I, I think I've used that as an illustration before. There was one church where uh, a lady in the church wanted to talk to the pastor about doctrine, and, you know, and, and, and he made the comment, you know, we don't really hit on doctrine much because doctrine divides. Well, he's right. <laughs> doctrine does divide. But when you think about it, we need to understand 
our doctrine. We need to understand what the Bible says. And doctrine is imperative to our growth. And really, I was thinking about this. Doctrine should come before duty. What I mean by that is we shouldn't just be serving. We need to understand why we're serving. It's not about, well, I'm just going to love and I'm just going to do this. Because if we're doing things just to do them, eventually, in a sense, we're going to lead a life that's fake because we don't know what's, what's going on. There's no surface. There's no uh, roots that are, that are buried deep. So that's why, again, it's very important to dig deep so that we can reach out. Now, let me ask a question, kind of flip gears to get into the message tonight or the lesson tonight. Who wants to be unhealthy? Anybody here tonight want to be unhealthy? What? No? You do. All right. Very good. Got one honest person. Very good. Uh, most of us don't want to be unhealthy. Why do we not want to be unhealthy? It's not fun. <laughs> Why isn't it fun, Christina? No, it's not. It's just, it's just not fun. <laughs> what, what else? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's funny, but it's true. Uh, why else? Why don't we want to be unhealthy? Because bills are exasperating. I don't know who she's referencing there. But anyway, she's talking about something or someone in her life that has been unhealthy outside of his own you know, will and everything like that. Anyway, uh, why else? Why don't we want to be unhealthy? It's not natural. Yeah. You can't do the things you like to do. Yeah. So in our society, I mean, there's a, there's a big movement towards, you know, being healthy. So let's ask this question. And there's a reason for all this. What are some steps, procedures that we take initiative in our lives to make sure that we are healthy or on the path towards health, well health or anything? Exercise. That's very important. I exercise a lot. I walk from my house to my office every day. That's a lot of exercise. <laughs> and I eat M&Ms. <laughs> anyway. Proper diet. Proper diet. Yes. What else? What else? Sleep. sleep. Yes. I value sleep. I don't sleep very well, but I value it. Uh, there are a lot of things that we do to make sure that we are staying healthy. Now, I say that because what Paul is doing here and chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, is he is giving us the marks of a healthy church. The marks of a healthy church. And I'm going to quickly give kind of a, uh, an abbreviated outline of chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in depth in the weeks to come. But it, it's, it's pretty interesting when you study this. A healthy church is first and foremost marked by spiritual unity. It's very important to be unified. An unhealthy church is a church that will not be unified, that will have disunity abounding. And I'm going I'm to share an illustration here later in the message about a church that was such that was just so disunified. And the members were fighting one, one amongst each other, one amongst themselves. And he, he references this in verses 1 through 6. So follow along if you would. I therefore, we've already read this, but I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then verses 4 through 6, it continues. We talked about this last week. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the first mark of a healthy church is spiritual unity. The second mark of a healthy church, which is what we're going to look at tonight and next week, is this. Spiritual diversity. Spiritual diversity. If you just look around, you'll notice that we are all different, right? Is anyone the same in here? 
No. Wouldn't it be annoying if we were all literally the same and looked the same and acted the same? Yes, it would be very annoying if we were all robots. God has uniquely created us, gifted us, as we'll talk about tonight, to be different, to be unique. And that's a great thing. And really, that is a mark of a spiritually healthy church, of church that is spiritually diverse. And again, we're going to dive into that a little bit more tonight. And then the third thing is this. A healthy church is marked by spiritual maturity. Can't wait to get to this in a couple of weeks. Really, in, in verse 15, Paul is saying to the Ephesians here, grow up. <laughs> I mean, ser- those that have, had, uh, uh, that have had kids, wouldn't you just love it if your kid you know, still lived with you when you're like 45 and they're like in the, the basement and everything like that? And just, wouldn't you love that? Most of you guys are shaking your heads. No, why? You want them to grow up. That's the goal. That's the, the purpose. You raise them to get them out of the house, right? And then they come back with the grandkids and all that kind of stuff later. That's fine. But you don't want your kids living with you when they're 80 years old because they've never left. You want them to leave. Now, there might be occasions where they have to come back, and it's for a time and season and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But Paul is referencing here a little bit later is, hey, grow up. In order to grow up, that's talking about that maturity. So a healthy church is marked by spiritual maturity. Let me transition again because this is really hitting on tonight. Anyone ever been in a fight? Anyone at all? Okay. Anyone in, anyone in what? Just a whatever. Fist fight argument. Today I'm talking. No. <laughs> Christina, go ahead and share your story. Okay. <laughs> she, was, she was ready for it. Now we've all been in a fight. We've all been in an argument. Um, now I'm going to ask a question. It, it's, there might be a lot of different answers, but say you're in an argument and what I'm talking about is disagreement, conflict, whatever. What typically is an important step in resolving a conflict that you have with someone else? Punching their face, right? Somebody no, sorry. Has to what? Has to Someone has to apologize. Someone said something. Communication. communication, talking. Yes, that's what I'm really trying to get to, y'all. Communication is key in a lot of areas, right? It's very important to communicate. And my wife tells me I am like the world's best communicator. That's my sarcastic nature. I struggle with communication with my wife sometimes, but that is that is key in helping arguments and disagreements. Uh, you know, this is what we try to do when we visit marriage counselors and the husband and wife, you know, go to the counselor in order to talk over things. Parents do this when they're trying to get their children to not argue and fight with one another. Communication is key, but notice, I want you to notice, go back to verses one and two. Notice that Paul is not telling us to communicate first and foremost. Now, there's something important with this. He tells us in the first few verses to walk in unity, but in order to have unity, he's not saying you have to communicate with one another. Look what he says. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You know what he's saying first and foremost? In order to create unity in the church, you have to look inward. Now, communication is important. Don't get me wrong. The Bible talks a lot about communicating. But Paul did not say, all right, in order to be a unified church, you got to get together and you got to talk about your differences and what's going on. No, no, no. He says, first and foremost, you have to figure out what's going on with you. Because how often is it true in our lives that we're blaming someone else when the issue might be with ourselves? That's why Paul is saying, hey, I want you to walk worthy of your calling, of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Unity is so vital to the health of a church, but in order to have true biblical unity, you have to first start with you. It's kind of like John Christ, what he says, you know, you got to check your heart, right? 
You have to check your heart. Check to see what is important, what's on the inside. I heard of a pastor who, had, and this is, this is kind of an amazing thing that happened. Uh, he'd only been at a church for uh, six weeks, new pastor of this church. And the church had been without a pastor for 18 months, which is never a good thing. Now, the church had dwindled so significantly because two families had caused much of the conflict. Many of us have probably been in situations like that, or we've heard of situations where you're like, yeah, there's, yeah I, I, know, I know that too well. Um, but anyway, both sides were at odds with one another. Both sides blamed each other for the strife. The new pastor called a meeting, and you could just feel the tension and see the fire burning out of their eyes towards one another as they were sitting across the table. And the pastor did something unexpected, and I love what he did here. He handed out pieces of paper and pencils and told them each to go off individually into a corner of the room and write down every way that they had personally sinned and contributed to the conflict. He said that when he called them all back, there were tears in their eyes and requests for forgiveness. And the situation could then be dealt with peacefully and lovingly because the first step in any conflict is to look at our own attitudes. You see, those two parties, those two families that were at odds with one another, that were really disrupting the church, were blaming one another. It's your fault why the church is going this way. It's your fault. <laughs> but then the pastor said, why don't you look inward to see if there's some struggle in your life, if there's some sin in your life. And again, this is very important to understand. If we want to be a unified church, we have to first and foremost look within. And it's very convicting. It was convicting for me last night and today as I was studying this out. It's very easy for me to blame someone else, right? It's probably very easy for you to blame someone else. But how often do we say, you know what? Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> probably not very often, right? But if we did that more often, you know what? there's a good chance that we would truly, truly, truly be a unified church all the time. Because instead of always looking at that, what, speck in someone else's eye, like the moat in the beam, instead of looking at that little moat, that little speck in someone else's eye, we see that there's a huge beam sticking out of our own eye. What I mean is that there's problems in our own life that need to be addressed. And I found in my own life, when I address my own problems, some of the problems I have with other people tend to go away. Anybody else discovered that too? Or am I the only one? <laughs> I think all of us have. So if, if we've discovered that, you don't have to answer this, why don't we do that more? Why don't we look internally more? Why don't we see, hey, hey, God, is there something in my heart that needs to be addressed? Is there a root of bitterness that's springing up? You know, I, I can talk about disunity all, all day long and talk about all the problems, but is there something in my life? And if God says, and he speaks to you and says, you know what, you're doing well. There's no root of bitterness or anger or frustration or anything like that. Then, okay, you can address it with someone else, but we first and foremost have to make sure we're right. And again, it's very convicting. So the first step is looking at ourselves, but then Paul moves beyond that to something very important. Once you look at your own life, then you have to see what we have in common. This is what we talked about last week. Remember, we can all talk about our differences, but Paul is saying, all right, I want you to notice how we're the same. There's one body, there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. We're all different, but the key is not focusing so much on how we're different, but how we're the same first, and then understanding that it's okay that we're different. 
And I made a statement last week, and it might be in your notes, I think it is. Unity is not about selfishness. It's about oneness. But let's go a step further this week. Unity is not about sameness. It's also about diversity. Now, we are the same, and what I'm talking about is what we referenced last week, that we all have one Lord and one hope and one calling, one God and one Father and all those things. It's not just about being the same. It's also about our diversity, that we are all uniquely different, and we should thank God for that, especially those that have been in a relationship ever. It's nice to have someone that's different than you, that doesn't look exactly like you. I would not like that if I was in a relationship with someone who looked exactly like me and was exactly like me. That would be annoying. I'm thankful my wife is different, but that's what happens in the church. We are uniquely different, and that is okay. There is a diversity, and here's what we're going to hit on tonight. Every believer has diverse gifts. Every believer has diverse gifts. Let's look at verse number 7. We're going to be in verse 7 through 10 primarily tonight. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascendeth, uh, what is it but that, oh, I can't read, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up above all heavens, that he might fulfill or that he might fill all things. Now there's so much in these verses but let me start at the end of verse number seven, where it says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. This is key. This is important. Christ has given every believer, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, every believer has some spiritual gift. Now, most of us know that. We understand that. And this is very important in setting the tone of the message tonight. Every believer has some spiritual gift, at least one spiritual gift. Every believer, every Christian has a spiritual gift. And we must make a distinction between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. There are many people that are very naturally uh, talented, have a lot of natural gifts and talents. They might be very musically inclined. That's not a spiritual gift. We'll hit on spiritual gifts in probably in a few weeks. We'll go back and reference Romans chapter 12 uh, where it talks about that. But there is a difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. You see, when you were born into this world, God gave you certain natural abilities, perhaps in mechanics or art or athletics or music. In this regard, all men are not created equal because some are smarter, some are stronger, some are more talented than others. But in the spiritual realm, each believer has at least one spiritual gift, no matter what natural ability he or she may possess. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. I like what Warren Wearsby, I've used him a lot in this study. I like what he says concerning spiritual gifts. He says, gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. Let me say that again. Gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. And if they are not used in love, they become weapons to fight with, which is what happened in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Christians are not to live in isolation, for after all, we are all members of the same body. Now, if you're a child of God, you've been gifted. But then Paul makes it very clear in the first part of verse 7, get this, exactly what we've been given. But unto every one of us is what? What are the next two words? 
given grace. We are given grace. This is key. Jesus gives us grace to use our gifts. God has gifted every single one of us, and we've been given grace to be a conduit of grace, as we've talked about many times. Grace means a lot of things. It means unmerited favor, getting what we don't deserve, but it's about strength and wisdom and courage and motivation and love and concern and care and power. And the awesome thing about this is that Jesus, here's what he does. He measures out the exact amount of grace needed for the maximum use of our spiritual gift. You know, Paul is challenging the view most of us have about differences. He says, your differences with each other are not bad. They're good and they're given to you. In fact, grace has been given to each and every one of us. And this is the truth that I want you to get. We have been given a gift so that we can give. We have been given a gift so that we can give. God has given us spiritual gifts. He has given us his grace, not so we can keep it to ourselves, but so we can give it to other people. Even as I kind of referenced in the message on Sunday, especially with grace, as we're supposed to be a a conduit, and I use the tissue box, and here's grace. So what are we supposed to do with it? Keep it? No, pass it on. Same thing is true with our spiritual gifts. God has gifted us so that we can use those gifts to help other believers. Christians are not to be clones of each other. We're not supposed to be identical. God didn't intend it that way. He made us all different. He made us unique. You're not like me, and I'm not like you, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, and you're probably thankful for that as well. Let's go on, verse number 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. In verse 8, Paul is actually citing Psalm chapter 68. So let's turn back to Psalm chapter 68, and I will make reference of this in the lesson tonight. Psalm chapter 68. I'm going to start reading, start reading in verse number 14. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was wild as snow in Solomon. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill is the hill of Bashan. Verse number 16. Why leap, leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in that holy place. And then verse number 18, this is the reference here. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Very much what Paul is referencing here. Yea, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Now, Psalm 68 is a victory hymn. We didn't read all of it for sake of time. But historically, it was typical to bring back spoils of war after a king won the battle. So once they won, once they defeated a nation, they would bring the spoils of war. They would get, they would, in a sense, you know, get what they had and bring it back so that they could, you know, uh, you know, revel in it and, and use it for themselves. It was a significant military victory. So the reference here, the, the, the correlation here is this. Having triumph over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave, Jesus Christ, our Savior, gave his congregation, his church, spiritually gifted people, that they might minister to his church. Let's continue on. This will all make sense in here in just a minute. Now he that ascendeth 
What is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Paul speaks of Christ's descent and ascent, coming down to earth and then going back up to heaven. Paul is talking about the incarnation and the ascension of Christ as evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior, is the King. He is the ascended Lord. Jesus Christ came all the way down. That's why it talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, that um, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of what? A servant. He became flesh for us. He humbled himself. I'm about to mess up the rest of it, so let me just read it. Um, uh, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So this is talking about Christ's descent to the earth. He humbled himself. It was a humiliating thing for Jesus Christ, the Lord God, the sovereign ruler of all, to take a part of his royalty, in a sense, and robe himself as a man. Now, he was 100% man, 100% God. But the point that we're making here is that the descent, talking about his humbling of himself, but then, verses 9 through 11, talking about his ascent. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came all the way down and now has been exalted all the way up. Christ is above all. He fills all. He gives gifts to all. And here's what we need to do. We need to marvel at what he's given us. I'm going to make an application of this here in just a minute. But God has gifted us all with a spiritual gift. I'm not going to talk about the spiritual gifts tonight. But God has given each and every one of us a gift. And the gift that he has given us is a gift that should be used. But how often do we not use our spiritual gifts? Well, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. Well, again, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. And the reason he has gifted us is so that we can advance his kingdom. Did you realize it's not just the pastor's job to do everything? You know what one of my main functions is? And we'll, we'll probably hit on this a little bit more next week. One of my main functions as a pastor is to equip. Equip the saints, equip the church, what? For the work of the ministry. That's not saying I shouldn't do anything and that's all I'm going to be doing is teaching and preaching. That, that's not what it's all about. But a pastor cannot do everything. Paul could not do everything as an apostle. Peter and John and the others could not do everything. Their job was to equip, to train the people to do the ministry. So think about this. The mark of a healthy church is a church that is spiritually unified, that is unified. The mark of a healthy church is diverse. And what I'm talking about is diverse in their gifts. They have many different gifts, but they're all using their gifts. So think about churches that maybe you've been a part of in the past that were disunified. There's probably one thing that stands out to you, whether you realize it or not. There were many people in that church that were not using their God-given gift. Right? Maybe it was one of you. Maybe it was me if I was in a church like that. Well, what good is a gift from God if we're not going to use it? Well, we like to be mad at people, right? But how is that going to advance his kingdom? 
How is it going to make sure the gospel goes forward? Again, Paul is hitting hard on this, and I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this over the next few weeks as, as we really try to grasp this and unpack it and understand that God has gifted us. He has made us all diverse, all unique, but that's okay because we need different abilities. We need different talents. We need different spiritual gifts to help the church go forward. Some of you might be the hands. Some of you might be the feet, the eyes, whatever, but God has gifted us, and we have been given so that we can give. And next week, we're going to go deeper into the next couple of verses and talk about how every believer has diverse responsibilities. But again, spiritual gifts are supposed to unite the body. But most often, they cause disunity within the body. Let me ask this question. Let me say that again. Let me ask a question. Spiritual gifts are supposed to unite the body. But mo- most often, they cause disunity within the body. How does this happen? What I mean is, why do you think our spiritual gifts often cause disunity over unity? Because we're in the flesh. We're in the flesh. That's very good. What else? Maybe they're not being used correctly. Maybe they're not being used correctly. It's good. What else? Michael? We don't like our gifts. We don't like our gifts. Okay, it's good. What else? One person's using their gift, the other isn't until it's in us. One person's using their gift, the other person's not. It's going to clash. Yeah, that's, that's good. What else? With Ron? Power struggles. Oh, that's really good. Power struggle. Why don't you explain that? <laughs> we only got a few more minutes, so. <laughs> There's more than one way to do a lot of things. But my way is always the best. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> he can take it. It's okay. <laughs> That's true. You, it is probably better than mine, for sure. <laughs> yeah, right? No, that's good. Any, any more on that? That's, that's very good. Power struggle. Anything else to add? No? That is. That is. There, there is a power struggle so often that, no, 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 this is how it should be done. That's not why God gifted us, so that we can do what we want to do the way we want to do it. He gifted us so that we can all be unified all serve together to realize we have a gift that is unique, that is different than this person, but what happens when you're working together instead of separate? What happens if, if again, we've used this illustration before, if you're in a boat, if you're in a ship, and one person is rowing this way, the other person is rowing this way, what are you going to do? I'm not going to keep doing it because I'm going to get dizzy <laughs> and fall down. That's what happens in the church when you think about it. We're all just like going around in a big circle. Now, it's fun for kids to walk around in a circle and then get dizzy and you know, fall over and stuff like that. But again, we wonder why churches don't truly go forward. Maybe it's because this side is rowing this way and this side is rowing that way. And there's a couple people over here rowing this way. A couple people over here rowing this way. Are you going to get to where you're supposed to be going? No. And one big thing, you know, talking about power struggle... In understanding our spiritual gifts, and we've hit on this before in the past, it takes humility to realize that, you know what? Maybe someone has a gift that's different than us, and that's okay. It's not that they're better than us. I'm going to unpack this here in just a minute. It's not that they're better than us. It's just that God has gifted them different than us. 
So instead of me arguing and fighting at what they have or what they're doing or what they're not doing, you know what? Let's just come together. Let's work together. Isn't it always an awesome thing when two people actually work together? Doesn't it make things go quicker instead of two people doing separate things? Well, I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to do it this way. Okay, that's fine. You try to put it together and sometimes it doesn't match. (laughs) But if you're actually working together, it's going to go so much better. You see, there is a function to the church. Everyone that God adds, God gives at least one spiritual gift, and that gift is to help them to be engaged within the local body. You're part of the body of Christ, as we hit on last week. And when you're not using your gift or gifts that God has given you, then you impact the rest of the body. Think about the physical body. If your hand is cut off, other parts of the body have to work overtime, right? So think about in the church. When the hand has been cut off, when the feet have been cut off, or when they're not functioning. I'm not going to function today. That's how we act. So it affects, impacts everyone else. And then instead of being spiritually unified, we are disunified. It all could be because of one individual. Because we're so concerned with everyone else instead of our own self. I talked about it before, but gospel ministry was never meant to be pastor-driven, staff-driven. It's meant to be member-driven. You know, growing up in a pastor's home, and I've referenced this many times, growing up in a pastor's home since I was, my dad's been a pastor since I was four, but he's been in the ministry my whole life. I've heard this over and over. It's not my job. Well, then whose job is it? I'm not paid to do that. So I'm not discounting staff and this and that, but why has God gifted you in the first place then? Can somebody tell me if you're not going to do the job that you're supposed to do? But it's not my job. What kind of attitude is that? Do you think that really creates unity? No. See, this... It's not rocket science, right? The Bible really is simple to understand. We just don't want to do it. We just don't want to live it out. And really, when you think about it, and I was talking to Justin about a different aspect the other day, we make things a lot harder than we need to, right? Really, God's word is pretty simple because God gives us the commands of what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to follow. And we're like, you know, I think I got a better one. Anyone in here God? No. He has the best way. So the best way is doing what he has commanded us to do. So really, when you think about it, it is simple. But it's hard to give up control. Yes, it is hard to give up control. But how, how easy it is, is it for us to really just do this to, to God? Here it is, God. Here's my struggles. Is that hard, theoretically? No, it's not. But we make it harder. Because, eh, nope. <coughs> was my left hand. That was my weaker hand. <laughs> Plus, I had two fingers on it. No, I only did cardio today. <laughs> it's my walking back and forth. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't know where I was at, but whatever. But again, if it's not your job to serve and help the church go forward, then what good are you? 
Every single Christian, every child of God has been gifted by Christ and been given the gift of grace to do what you've been called to do. As a Christian, you know what your job is? Your job is ministry. But I wasn't specifically called into the ministry. You might not be a paid position, but your job as a Christian is ministry. To be the hands, the feet that are moving forward, the church. Again, the pastor can't do it all. The staff can't do it all. I'm not saying I can't do things. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying the staff can't do things or this or that. But, man, think about this. What could a church truly look like if every member of that body was activating their gifts, engaged in their gifts, and actually utilizing the gifts that God had given them? What could a church look like? Has the world truly seen a church like that? Probably not. And we make excuses. Well, it's because, you know, we sin and sin nature and flesh and this and that. Yes, that's true, but don't you think we could truly submit to God and realize, you know what? It's not about me. I think of sports. Some of the best teams that have, that have won, they might not have the best athletes on that team. But what do they do well? They work together. Some of those teams that are on paper are like, man, this is a star-studded team. They're going to just destroy everyone. They kind of fan out. Why? Because it's too much about their ego. I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Well, that's fine, but sometimes it's, you know what? I'm just going to humble myself and realize that that's not my job. And I remember a basketball coach of mine in college, he literally kind of sat us all down before the first game of a season. Chris, this is what I want you to do. Jerry, this is what I want you to do. Bob, this is what I want you to do. He, and, he, and he talked about what our roles were. And if we did the role that we were supposed to do, we could be successful. You know what happened during the season? Many of us got the idea of, you know what? I don't like that role. I think I have a better role. I think I'm more gifted in this area. And there were games where we struggled greatly because we were all rowing different directions. But there were games where we shouldn't have beat the other team because they were much more talented than us. But we did because we were working together as one. And that's important. Our job as a Christian is ministry. Ministry. It's about using the gifts that God has given us. I have a, a reference in here. Let me, let me see if I can find it uh, quickly. Yeah, here it is. There's a story told of a, a simple man who prayed every day for, for a gift that he could share with his church family. Routinely, he would pray for this simple prayer. He said, Lord, please give me at least one gift that I can share with my church family. After he prayed this prayer, he would go outside and sit by his mailbox, waiting for the gift to come. Always being the friendly fellow that he was, he, he made a point to share an encouraging word with a mailman. And he had been a mailman for years, and, and like most folks, he had his share of problems both at home and at work. Trouble seemed to follow him like a cloud, and it showed on his face. And on this particular day, as he had so many other times, he saw this man sitting down by the mailbox. And he really liked this fellow because every time he visited with him, he always sent him away kind of feeling better about himself because he was encouragement. The simple man greeted him again with a smile and said, Hey, have you got a package for me today? I really prayed double hard that God would send me a gift that I could share with my church family. 
Andy looked long and hard inside of his mailbox or mailbag, and, but he couldn't find any such thing for this man. I'm sorry, friend. I have nothing for you today. Dejected, the simple man walked back to his house and with slow plodding steps said to himself, I'll never get the gift that God's supposed to give me so I can share with my Christian family. Suddenly a light flashed in Andy's mind, the mailman, and he rushed to embrace the simple man. Friend, God has sent you a gift. I've seen it with my very own eyes, said Andy, as he looked at this man's face. Feeling confused, the simple man asked, you have? You mean, where's that? You see, for all these months, you have asked God for a gift that you already had with you. There have been days when I was down and discouraged, but you were always there to cheer me up. You exhorted me to press on and not give up. God has given you a great gift, the gift of encouragement to share with your Christian family. Your gift has enriched my life. The simple man, astonished, thanked Andy for his time and then went back into the house and prayed, Lord, I've had it all wrong. Now I'm going to use all that I have to help others, my voice to encourage them, my hand to help them, my feet to walk in fellowship with them. And Lord, I'm trusting you to gift me more and more so that I can help more people with what you've already given me. You see, that's important. Most of the time we're praying for something that we already have. God, I, I, I just need this to really help out in the local church, to really help out in ministry. But what if what you need is what you already have? I was listening to something my wife shared with me uh, the other day, uh, and really great illustration of this is what is in your drawer? <laughs> you know, we look at, you know, we have certain drawers in our house that are just, you know, stocked with a bunch of junk, and sometimes we can't find anything, Right? <laughs> But a lot of times I've noticed that I'm looking frantically for something that I already have. And sometimes I'll go buy something that I didn't need because I already had it. I just muddied it all up and cluttered it all up and I didn't know what I had. But here's the point I'm trying to make. God has given us everything that we need. Everything that we need, he has already given us. Did you realize that? And we can say yes, but most of us probably don't realize it because... If I just had more, um, we've already said in Ephesians 1 through 3 that you already have all of God that you need, right? You have all of him, right? You don't need any more of him. You already have all of him. It's about unlocking that gift. It's about understanding that what we have has been given to us from God to use. Look, there might be 10 people who have the same spiritual gift, but all 10 of you are uniquely different and diverse and that's what makes it so truly amazing. And here's the point. There is unity because there is diversity. You've been given the gift of grace. It's so easy to be tempted to sit on the sidelines. Well, I just don't have what it takes. No, you do. You have exactly what it takes, all that it takes, but I just don't have enough. Well, let me take from the saying of my five-year-old son, actually... He loves actually. Actually, you have exactly what you need. You have all that you need. Everything you need, you already have. Let's make it personal. Everything I need, I already have. 
don't you say that with me? Everything I, I need, I already have. Ready? Everything I need, I already have. Let me say, let's all say that again, because I think some of us really struggle with this, because I know I struggle with this. Everything I need, I already have. Write that down. Memorize it. Study it. Meditate on it. Because sometimes we're praying, if God would just give me this and this and this, then I could really do something for him. He's already gifted you with what you need. It's about unlocking that gift. That's why it's important to cultivate and develop your gifts. And that's one thing I'm really going to try hard in the, in the coming months and next year especially is to truly try to unlock the potential that is within our church. And I know it's my, my, one of my primary jobs to equip the saints. And that's what I'm going to try to do is to train and train and train and help people understand who they are in Christ what they have in Christ, how they've been gifted so they can use those gifts. Wouldn't it be amazing if our church was unified in that way? I have the gift of this, I have the gift of this, I have the gift of this. And we're all using it and realize that, you know what? This person has a different gift, but that's okay. Everyone else brings something to the body that you cannot bring. My wife brings something to the body that I cannot bring. Billy brings something to the body that I cannot bring. Stephanie brings something to the body that I can't bring. You all, if you're Christians, you bring something to the body that someone else cannot bring. I mean, imagine a restaurant. You can have the greatest chef, but if the service is horrible, you're probably not going to go back, right? You can have the greatest creativity and greatest service-based staff, but if the food is horrible, you're not going to want that either. You see, it's all about working together to utilize the talents to make that restaurant successful as it can be. You need the people behind the scenes as well as the people in front of the scenes. And it's important to understand that no one is greater than the other, right? But it's very easy to start comparing and contrasting. It's very, well, this person is much better than me, much greater than me. No, they're just gifted different than you. Now, some people can take that in a sense, in a prideful way, I am better than you. They might not say it, but they act it out. And we probably all met people like that, right? Where they act it out, hey, look at me. I'm something special. I mean, even thinking about myself, I am nothing special. I am just the one that God has placed here to help you get to where you need to be. As he is helping me, as he is pouring into me, my goal, my job is to pour into you. And I am no different. I'm really not. Yeah, I study maybe a little bit more. I have some, some more degrees and this and that, but that doesn't make me anything more special. I'm still part of the body of Christ, just as you are. I just get paid to preach. <laughs> and it's, it's an awesome responsibility. Now, there's a lot of weight to that responsibility from God, but we have to understand we put people on pedestals that don't need to be on pedestals. I'm not even talking about pastors and, and this and that, but we put other people in the church. Well, I wish I had their gift. What about the gift you have? Or they lord over you. Oh, you're nothing. If you'd be like me, you're not supposed to be like them. You're supposed to be you, right? Everyone else brings something to the body that you cannot bring. No one is greater, but all are essential. But you think about the whole body, I mean... The eyes are, are very important. Yeah, they are, but you also need the ears, the nose, the mouth, the feet, all of it working together. And we can easily say, well, 
the feet are much more important. Well, maybe to you, but to someone else, the hands are more important. Or the eyes. Understand what I'm saying here? Everything you need, you already have. That's why it's important to cultivate, to develop your gifts. And it's an awesome thing when you truly begin to activate the gifts that God has given you. Because it gives you greater joy. And it energizes you like nothing else can do. When you've activated your gift and you're engaged in doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's what I want from this series. To make us truly engaged in what we're supposed to be doing. Unity is not about sameness. It's about diversity. And we're going to unlock this cultivating and, and developing a little bit more in the weeks to come. I had an illustration, but we're out of time tonight. I'll probably use it next week. But again, we have, to, we have to learn how to cultivate, how to develop it. You think about playing the piano. You don't start out like Mozart or Beethoven, right? You have to develop it. You have to practice same thing is true with our spiritual gifts. We have to cultivate them. We have to, we have to get better. We have to grow and realize that whatever gift that God has given us is an amazing gift. Everything you need, you already have. And I want that to stick with you tonight. That everything I need, I already have. Well, I, I need more power. Well, how much more power do you need when God has given you his unlimited supply of power? We just have to learn to harness it, right? Unity is not about sameness. It's about diversity. We're all one in Christ, but we're all still unique. That's okay. And the mark of a healthy church is gospel-centered unity, but it must move to an understanding and activation of our spiritual diversity. And here's the core truth. Unity flows from our diversity. Because we're diverse, because we're all gifted, that's where unity flows from. Understanding that, activating it, engaged within it. Boy, the next few weeks, it's just going to be even better than tonight as we continue to unlock this. But take that truth with you. Everything you need, you already have.